Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota of Brookhaven has been voted best new car dealership in Southwest Mississippi four years in a row. Come see the difference. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota of Brookhaven, we deliver. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbard along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this. Friday, y'all. <laughs> we have made it to Friday. A bit uh, cloudy, overcast, little precip falling this morning. In the uh, central Mississippi region, expected to move out, I think, by this afternoon, but a continued chance of precipitation. It's the old predictable afternoon storms, thunder showers move through, very scattered in nature. It's kind of a hit and miss deal. But that's where we are. What else is going on this morning? Don't answer that because it's a lot. Wow. Uh, we're just over a month, right, from going to the polls in Mississippi, primary, oh, yeah. primary election, August the 8th, is that correct? I, I do believe. And then November the 7th, sometimes I get those backwards, but I think it's August the 8th. Yep, August the 8th. So, make sure you're registered to vote. You can go, of course, either in person to the circuit uh, your county's circuit or municipal clerk's office. I think they all close by 5 o'clock. Uh, but you got to do that before July 10th. And you can also mail in your registration application. They must be postmarked no later than July 10th. You can, of course, opt to vote uh, absentee. With an excuse, you can utilize the step-by-step absentee guide, which you can find at the Secretary of State's website. You can contact your local circuit clerk if you've got any questions about that, but it's, uh, it's on the way. There's lots of talk about the difference in the states concerning voting, the voting period. And, and there's a lot of folks that feel very strongly that you should only be able to vote on Election Day. And in fact, I think I've seen candidate for Lieutenant Governor Chris McDaniel, anybody out there, help me out on this, but I believe I've seen him actually post that on social media, that we should 
vote in person, vote on paper, and all on Election Day. Somebody help me with that, verify with that. Pretty sure that I'm accurate there, though. This was a couple of weeks, I believe. Um, and then there are others who believe, no, we should have uh, more liberal, I guess, opportunity, more generous opportunity to vote. And this kind of goes back to our origins as a nation, as to what the founders thought, what the Constitution says. Of course, voting is administered at the state level. However, we've discussed before how the Democrats would like nothing more than to federalize all elections. In fact, the bill to do so, which had all kinds of other voting reforms in it, they uh, they labeled as H.R. 1, and typically when you assign H.R. 1 in the House of Representatives, the number one to a bill, that means it's your top priority. That was their top priority. With the GOP in charge of the House, H.R. 1 is a bill that deals with cutting regulation on the energy industry which I fully support. I've said that before, that I think that is the most effective approach to boosting supply as a means to curb inflation, something that, unfortunately, our president and his fellow Democrats do not understand anything about. They are not supply-side policy people. Now, somebody you remember on our text line, Rhino, commented that when I asked the question, what sort of supply-side policies has this president supported and implemented and acted, and it was the CHIPS Act, where we gave money to manufacturers of chips. The shell game for multi-billion dollar companies. Right. Most profitable, dividend-paying multi-billion dollar companies. Yeah, that's their idea of supply-side. Just hand money out to corporations. Go make some stuff. It's incredible. But, so about this election stuff, North Dakota, I read an article about North Dakota, a Republican state, in fact, their governor, Doug Burgum, running for president. A lot of people maybe don't know. He's in the race. I mean, what have we got? 12, 13 candidates now, right? Mark my words. Vivek Ramaswamy is going to pass Ron DeSantis, by the way. Recent polls, if you haven't seen those folks, have Trump still out in the lead with a lead at, what, 42 3% now? Depends on the poll. It depends on the poll. You're right. But, I mean, I he's got there are some a, polls that even have Trump up by 50%. Have seen that. But, clearly, he has a commanding lead. I don't think there's any question about that. But the dynamics are changing somewhat. And in that category, in those polls. I mean, this far out, nobody's truly dead in the water. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And you know what? When you ask candidates, you've seen this, when the candidates are asked about their position in the polling, if they're down the list, they always say, well, don't forget, so-and-so was here at this point, so-and-so was there at this point. And all that's true. I seem to recall, like, the Republican primary... Uh, which used to begin, it still does, right, in Iowa. It's the Democrats that changed the sequence, starting in South Carolina. 
It's New, it's New Hampshire for the Republicans, I believe, first, and then Iowa. But the Iowa always seems to get a lot of attention from the Republican perspective. You might want to check me on that, but see, that seems correct. But it was uh, what I remember is after the field in was it 2012, I believe, Michelle Bachman ends up winning in Iowa. Now she's from Minnesota, Republican member of Congress at the time, and she just kind of petered out. I mean, nothing really happened. But the most recent poll that I saw by Echelon Insights, and they're somewhat reputable polling organization, I don't think you would find significant differences in some of the other polls, but they've got Trump at 49%, DeSantis at 16 and now Ramaswamy coming in in third at 10%. I submit he's going to pass DeSantis, who, by the way, engaged what he says is his secret weapon, his wife, and she started a campaign yesterday where she's on her own. She's uh, in solitaire, so to speak, stumping for her husband. That would be uh, Casey DeSantis, correct? And so she's now appealing to moms and grandmothers as a mom to support her husband. Now, I believe Rhino, she has a experience as a television journalist. So, and you can tell it's it's uh, she's got some experience speaking to a camera with her body English, her delivery, etc. Think I'm right on that? Might want to check me, but. That's who Ron DeSantis believes is going to really bolster his chances. Interesting. But I think Ramaswamy is going to head on up the, the ladder there. This is something to consider. He's ahead of Mike Pence, who served as a vice president. You got this guy at 37 years old, Vivek Ramaswamy, that not a lot of people know anything about. I know whenever I mention him to people, they say, who? And he stirred in the polling. And most people struggle. It's because Mike Pence is a boring pick. <laughs> he really is. He was picked to be the boring, stable, straight man to Donald Trump's off-the-wall, off-the-cuff, out-of-left-field presidency. Yeah. You're right. So they're, uh, th about this voting stuff. It's like the odd couple. If you take one of them out, the other one, well, no, that's not, that's not a good example because Matthew and Lemon were great by themselves. But you get the idea. Like, they're, Pence would not be anybody without having been VP to Trump. And he was only picked because Trump was so out there, they had to have somebody that was going to be the straight and narrow. I think you could say the same about Dan Quayle who didn't fare very well in his bid for president. But I really think that Vivek Ramaswamy is going to move on up. I see him maybe being Secretary of the Treasury. A lot of people think, well, Trump's going to call on him to be his vice president. I don't. I think you'll name him to be the Secretary of the Treasury. Tiffany Longino, candidate for lieutenant governor in Mississippi, is up at 1037, and then Kelly Bennett at 1120. Check it out. Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. It's 
are back in the Element Wealth Studios. Up next, Tiffany Longino, candidate for lieutenant governor in the great state of Mississippi. At 11:20, it's Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. She'll recap all the news from across the Magnolia State for us and give us a glimpse into what our news department is tracking in the coming week. And don't forget, sign up for that newsletter. Uh, I strongly recommend you do so. You can keep up with all the happenings across the state, especially you want to be in the know as we approach Election Day, primary day coming up. The elections are starting to heat up a bit shall we say. Um, yeah, so this voting deal, it's, it's just another one of those things where there's little agreement, if you think about it, between the major parties. And interesting that North Dakota has been thrust into the spotlight. There's a lawsuit seeking to cut North Dakota's 13-day ballot count. And here's the way that works. Ballots received nearly two weeks, 13 days, after the scheduled election day can be counted. And these would be mail-in ballots, Uh, which is interesting. Some people object to that. And the question they believe it's going to come down to what counts as casting a ballot? This is weird. Depends on what the definition of is. I reckon so, Bill Clinton. So North Dakota's present law requires mailed ballots to be filled out and postmarked by the day before the election, before the election. The lawsuit claims they can be counted if they are received before the county canvassing boards meet. And that's 13 days after Election Day. So that's that's what all the consternation is about. Once again, you have the left wants one way, the right wants another way, <laughs> and the best thing for everybody lies smack dab in the middle that nobody wants to touch with a 10-foot pole. So true. Just make Election Day a holiday. For crying out loud. Been a lot of talk about that. Make it a holiday. A lot of people say that, well, certainly the Democrats claim at least, people can't vote because they can't get off of work. They're, they have to be at work. And they can't vote. Which if is the basis for them wanting all this extraneous voting. Exactly. Now, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I guess there are some cases, some jobs... Maybe some people could educate us on that, where you just absolutely can't leave and go to the polling place, the precinct. But you'd have to think that number would be much smaller if you had a federal holiday for Election Day. Oh, of course it would. But, well, I guess so, Rhino. But who fits that, who, who fits that description? You would think that it doesn't matter if it's a federal holiday or not. I'm thinking about health care, for example, emergency personnel, responders. Um, maybe you work in a 911 facility. You're a police officer. I don't know how that works. Do they not get any time off whatsoever? And I guess the other concern is, well, yeah, I get like an hour for lunch or something, but I go to the dang polls and I got to stand in line for two. As in, not so much here, you don't see that, but I can see where 
It's certainly true in some states. You see these long lines form uh, to get into the precinct, cast a ballot. So it's just interesting, in, in my view. Speaking of the Dakotas in South Dakota, you know who the governor there is, right? Christy Nome, conservative darling, if you will. I think she rose to fame during the pandemic because her state didn't take any action. They didn't do anything. Didn't shut anything down. They pulled a Sweden. Although Sweden's had its ups and downs. Yeah. And she was kind of uh, pointing to Sweden as guiding her in her decisions. On the other hand, you got to keep in mind, it's not like you've got giant metropolises in South Dakota with people living on top of each other in tall buildings. So it's a little misleading in that respect. Now, I understand there people do get close to each other, but not to the extent they would in a major city. Nonetheless, that's, I kind of think, her claim to fame. That's Arguably, you could say she was an unknown until then. Now, she did serve right in the Congress, I believe, prior to that. But where I'm going with this is her state just expanded Medicaid, went into effect July 1. The latest of the states, I think that makes it 11, maybe 10 now, that have not, including the great state of Mississippi. And this will no doubt be a contentious issue once again when we hunker down at the Capitol for a brand new session, and it will be an issue that we will certainly question candidates about when we're um, interviewing them here on the program as we approach Election Day. Something that I think uh, voters would like to know where the candidates stand, and it could influence their vote. So, you know, there's always a lot of talk about frustrations, I guess is the way to put it. Well, that dang Congress, they just don't get anything done. You, you hear that. They do. We send them up there to get stuff done, and they don't. And by the way, it comes from both sides. It's not unique to one side. And that's because we're fairly evenly divided. Look at the balance of power in the House post-midterms, which we just conducted in November 22. We're, what, seven months removed from that. But, of course, the Congress just took, that new Congress just was seated, convened the new class in January. So we're six months into it. But there's only a nine-seat delta. Republicans have control of the 435 in the House, and then over there in the Senate, it's a two-seat Delta. So you could argue it's pretty dang evenly divided, and then you have a Democrat in the White House. So you have a Republican-controlled House, a Democrat-controlled Senate, and a Democrat in the White House. That pretty much tells me we're not going to get anything done, because the main priorities of either party really got no chance of getting support from the other. So I had a thought. I've been talking about the Trump tax cuts scheduled to expire. 
Nobody's talking about that, at least not to any significant extent. Scheduled to expire 2025. Now, I hold that those tax cuts are supply-side fiscal policy. By the way, the left's words for supply-side, trickle-down economics. And we got some sound we're going to play here in a minute from Joe Biden, who was touting his Bidenomics. I don't know what the hell that is exactly, but he was touting it yesterday in the great Palmetto state of South Carolina. And it's just chock full of bottomless Pinocchios that we'll analyze. But here's the thought. So the Trump tax cuts are scheduled to expire, and honestly, without Republican control of the Houses and the White House, they're going to expire. The Democrats ain't no way, no how, going to let those things continue, renew them, extend them. Talking about the individual tax cuts, not the corporate, the individual. All right, so the Democrats are all bent out of shape about the Supreme Court's decision barring Joe Biden's action to cancel student loans. Just put it, putting this out there as something that maybe could accomplish goals of both parties, a so-called compromise. Now, I know there are a lot of people that say, no compromise, just an idea, wanted to float. What if Republicans said, hey, you know what? We'll sign off on some reasonable student loan forgiveness if you'll agree to extend and make permanent the Trump tax cuts. Boy, would that really get some people thinking. How about exchange as Trump proposed? Amnesty for building the wall. You sign off on funding and commissioning the building of the wall at the southern border? And we'll work with you to extend amnesty to the 11 or 12 million, I think it's really more than that, in the country, most of whom are actually working and producing. Just a thought, just an idea that uh, wanted to run out there. Boy, would that ever make for some good fodder. Yeah, I'm watching on the screen right now video of Biden touting his Bidenomics yesterday. We got some great short video clip for you on that. We're coming right back with Tiffany Longino. She's running for lieutenant governor in Mississippi. Stay with us. Today is with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Pretty weird video, wasn't it? <laughs> we are back in the Element Well studio. So we, uh, we're not sure uh, about Miss Longino, scheduled to be on with us now, a candidate for lieutenant governor. We'll just keep uh, our eyes and ears open, tuned in, and we'll certainly get her in. 
Um, so yesterday, <laughs> Joe Biden was in South Carolina, and he was talking about his economic plan, how it's working, Bidenomics. Again, I don't know what the heck that is. I don't really know what this constant quip, we're going to grow the economy from the bottom up and the middle out. I don't know what that means either, exactly. But he keeps saying it. But the other thing he keeps saying, which is just a bottomless Pinocchio, and by the way, he says this every single time he speaks about the economy. Just take a listen, folks. I don't know why it's not playing. We can get it to queue up. Interesting. We'll work on that. So Biden, of course, likes to tout his economic agenda, his economic plan, and he discusses his handling of the economy on a regular basis, always pointing to the deficit. You know what that is. That's the amount of spending, the value of the amount, should say, of spending over revenue. That produces a deficit. When revenue exceeds spending, that produces a surplus, is what it's called. Here we go. By the way, parenthetically, I want you to you're going to hear about the deficit. I cut the deficit $1.7 trillion in two years. Nobody's ever done that. Cut the debt $1.7. Okay, so it's a little hard to hear because, once again, he delivers it with that creepy, weird Leaning into the mic and whispering. Why does he do that? What is that? What's part? What's the what's the motivation for that? And he prefaces the statement with parenthetically, I guess because he wanted to insert that, maybe. It wasn't in the teleprompter speech, but he says that and he leans into the mic and he whispers. It's creepy. It's weird. By the way, I caught the deficit. <laughs> well, even the Washington Post gave him bottomless Pinocchios for that one. And we've explained this rather regularly. But it, it bears, I think, repeating because he just said it yesterday. Again. So there's no doubt that during 2020, Donald Trump's last year, the deficit hit a record. Hit a record, $3.1 trillion deficit. Now, just for perspective, the year prior to that, fiscal year 2019, total spending was $4.5 trillion. Under Trump, because of the CARES Act, good grief, how many times have we talked about the CARES Act on this program? Because what it did was drop money out of helicopters. A whole bunch of it. $2.2 trillion. And before that, there was another Coronavirus Relief Act, $900 billion. So, bottom line is, when you look at what 
was accounted for in that year from those two gigantic COVID relief spending bills, we went from a deficit of about $900 billion in the prior year to $3.1 trillion. All right, fast forward into uh, pardon me, Joe Biden's first year. He takes office. He couldn't deal with the fact that the economy was recovering without any action, just naturally. Why? Because governments were letting people go back to work. We were opening up. Orders were being termed out, expiring, without being renewed at the municipal, county, state, federal level. Didn't need any more juice. But Joe Biden and the Democrats couldn't deal with that because then it would appear that it occurred without their action. They wouldn't get credited for it. We can't let Donald Trump get credit for this. we got to do something. So what did they do? They passed a $1.9 trillion American rescue plan as if it needed rescuing. It didn't. We were getting over COVID. Doctors I've talked to said this was all a function of just achieving our so-called herd immunity, which was predicted from day one. Now, some would say, and I don't want to get into a dang vaccine debate. I'm so over that. But the bottom line is, we, it was in the rearview mirror at that point. So Joe Biden passes this gigantic spending bill. Well, that produced a $2.8 trillion deficit in its first year. Okay, so that's a decrease of $300-plus billion. And then the very next year, that would be 2022, fiscal year 2022, there was no gigantic American rescue plan. So we only produced a meager one5 foreign change trillion dollar deficit. Little bitty $1.4 trillion deficit. Okay, so we have a reduction from Trump's last year to Biden's first year of $300 billion. Uh, and then the next year, we don't pass another American rescue plan, so strip that out of the numbers, and we produce a $1.4 trillion deficit. So you can do the math there. It's $300 billion in the first year Biden was in office as a result on the heels of the gigantic spending in 2020, which, by the way, every Democrat signed off on. And then we move to 2022, and we don't have a repeat of 21 with the American Rescue Plan, and yeah, the deficit goes down. But he never explains that nuance. Still produced a $1.4 trillion deficit. It's like saying, look at me, I poured all the water out of the glass. Well, yeah, but you filled it up to start with. There's, there's no honor in that. There's no accomplishment or achievement in that. He just never explains that nuance. Even the left-wing Washington Post says, that's bottomless Pinocchios. If you guys don't know Washington Post, they fact-check statements by political figures, and they assign a number of Pinocchios, one to five, based on the degree to which the statements are untrue. They gave that statement a bottomless Pinocchio. There ain't enough Pinocchios in the world to 
a sign of that. But he still said it. You heard him, folks, yesterday. And what you don't hear, because it comes right after that, is the partisan crowd. Rhino is there going, yeah, Joe, that's great. <laughs> they have no clue what we're explaining right here. None. Well, neither does he. Let's be honest. But he boasts about it. You also caught folks at the very end of that statement. He switched from the word deficit to debt. I cut the debt. No, you didn't. Cutting the deficit doesn't cut the debt. The only way you cut the debt is when you produce surpluses and pay down on the principal of the debt. This is pretty simple. Finance. No, the, the debt has grown under your watch, sir. It grew under Trump's. It's been growing steadily for a long time. You've done nothing. Well, Americans, some 60% in the country, polls show, ain't happy with the direction of the economy. Don't feel like it. So in addition to those statements, you know, he always loves to get in front of the country and absolutely tout his, uh, his economic progress measured in terms of manufacturing, something we've talked about many times on the program. It's like the whole economy is just manufacturing. Simply not true. Less than 6% of the workers in this country work in the manufacturing sector. I certainly share folks' concerns that we've become too reliant on overseas foes such as China to manufacture some critical goods for our economy, for our health. This was exposed during the pandemic with when we all learned that, hey, most of the antibiotics that we consume in America are produced in China. Yeah, we figured that out, and the chip shortage and all that stuff. But again, Mr. Biden, he, he makes some statements that i got to give the bottomless Pinocchios to with respect to manufacturing, and I'll address that on the other side of the break in the Element Well studio. the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Well Studios. Miss Longino, candidate for Lieutenant Governor, will join us in the Element Well Studios at 11:05. Please stay tuned uh, for that interview. So back to this uh, bottomless Pinocchio, Joe Biden. You know, Abe Lincoln said, "You can fool all people some of the time, and some people all the time, but you can never fool all people all the time." <laughs> 30% of Americans, according to a University of Chicago poll, believe the economy is good. 69% say it's bad. And you can look at a number of different polls, left-leaning, right-leaning, all pretty much show the same sentiment. But again, what's baffling is how the president continues to, to emphasize and tout this some sort of manufacturing boom 
We're not in a manufacturing boom. But he, he conveyed some numbers, he shared some numbers yesterday that are wrong. He's talking about the large investment in manufacturing construction, expansion of manufacturing, which honestly is really not an absolute telltale indicator of the strength of the economy. It's just not. But that's what they, uh, that's what he touts, that's what he promotes, it's what he understands. And I would say, Rhino, the 1970s want their economic policy back. Still focused on that. But when I looked at the numbers, the June S&P Global Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index, it's called the PMI, that's 48.8. That's the lowest of the year and below 50 for the 10th straight month. What does that mean? It means that folks that that buy stuff for companies, purchasing managers. They're reporting a decrease in their purchasing activities. Well, that means manufacturers aren't going to sell as much, and they haven't been selling as much. And then you've also got data coming out from the Institute of Supply Managers, and that's under 50 for the eighth straight month. Again, that indicates weakness in the manufacturing sector. Manufacturing production in May down 0.3%. This is what really bothers me more than anything about the strength of the economy, is capital investment, business equipment, production of that down, Sale, purchase of that, down. That means companies don't feel as good about their future, don't feel like they need to buy more assets to produce. He also, again, was boasting about construction of new manufacturing. He said, yeah, it's up $500 billion, including here in South Carolina. Except here's the problem with that. Because we have experienced inflation. That's a nominal figure, meaning that's just the raw dollar amount. But when you adjust that for inflation, you can use either the CPI or the PPI. Those are two mainstream inflation measurements. And I looked at a chart on this from 2010 through 20, to present day, moves through 2022. So when you look at the nominal figure, yeah, it continues to increase up, tick up. But when you look at it in ju- adjusted for the CPI and PPI, it's flat. It's actually down slightly. But again, these are the nuances that this president won't share with you. And the people in the crowd are just clapping about it. Because they don't know what the heck he's talking about. He doesn't know what he's talking about. So because we are living through this inflationary period... We have to think about that. We have to start adjusting nominal figures for inflation. Otherwise, the measurements are irrelevant. Think about income. Well, obviously, a dollar of income in the 1950s ain't the same as a dollar of income today. Don't quite go as far. And he talks about... um, He talks about earnings being up. Well, they are, except they're not keeping pace with inflation. So what's called real wages actually down, meaning you're not getting enough 
income increases to offset the cost of living, cost of what you have to buy. So in real wage terms, you're actually worse off. I think most people would say, yeah, I'm, I'm finding it harder to, to accommodate the, sta- the same lifestyle, even though I've received an increase in pay. Something else that's very key, you know, uh, over 50% of the workers in this country are paid by the hour. And a key measurement that economists look at is the length of the work week. Because the length of the work week for an hourly employee determines their pay. That is down. That means employers are saying, I don't need you quite as much, and therefore their pay shrinks. And this figures into just the quality of their financial condition, the strength of their financial condition, something else the president won't share with you. We're stepping aside for a break right now. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News. Again, when we return, Tiffany Longino, candidate for lieutenant governor. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios, kicking off Hour 2 of the program on this. Friday, y'all. Joining us now is Tiffany Longino. She's a candidate running for lieutenant governor of the great state of Mississippi. Tiffany, thanks for coming in today. Thank you for having me. You bet. So, uh, all right, what uh, what was the inspiration? What uh, motivated you to jump in this, this race and run for lieutenant governor? I get asked that all the time. Sure. And so I get asked, hey, why not start on the local level? You know, in order to go for change, Mr. Dr- Mr. Dwight, just mm-hmm. immediately, I think you just need to sometimes just go for it. And so as an educator of 15 plus years, I've I've taught, you know, governors, I've taught lieutenant governors, or mm-hmm. I made those. So seeing those different students and that diversity and that inclusion, hey, we need help on the local level. However, in order to change some of those policies on the local level, it comes from the state position yeah. first. And so I just jumped right on in there. Okay. And so far I've been doing well. Well, that's that's uh, certainly bold. <laughs> uh, but honestly, uh, we should all respect and, and uh, tip our hat to anyone Absolutely. who's willing to jump in that fire, because it definitely it, it, is a fire. And it is hot. <laughs> it is hot. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, so tell us about your background. You said you were an educator for 15 years. Mm-hmm. I, I still am. Still okay. am. Um, on the collegiate level, I, I teach English. I teach education technology. Okay. I've taught high school. I've taught middle school. I've taught in Chicago. I've taught in the Delta of Mississippi. I've taught in Florida. Um, I'm also a Ph.D. candidate at a Mississippi State okay. in the Department of Instructional Systems and Workforce Development. You and I was dis- just yeah. discussing, you know, IT, so yep. that was kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Um, so, again, I've been in the field for about 18 years, so I've kind of ta- I've seen and I've seen a lot of things, heard a lot of things. So okay. never would have thought in a million years that I would have been into politics because I'm not a politic. Okay. So um, and I I think that's one of the concerns and the issues of Mississippi. We're kind of tired of seeing those professional politicians 
because mm-hmm. that's what is becoming just the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. You have people uh, implementing and drafting legislation and are not concerned with the public. And so one of the main things that I want to do is bring the public back into public policy. Okay. How, how would you do that? So let's let's go for it. Right. So let's let's talk about the bill, House Bill 1020. Okay. You know, as you know, that that House bill, for those who do not know, it is the Supreme Court. Uh, the judges appointing uh, those judges in the city of Jackson. Mm-hmm. And then I believe it's um, House Bill 2423 with the expansion of Capitol Police. Now, let me just say, I agree with half of the bill, okay? The bill, the part that I do agree with is the expansion of Capitol Police. Okay. But that's the expansion of the entire city of Jackson, not just, you know, one part of city of Jackson, the city of Jackson. And so because we know that the public law enforcement, our, our Leos, they're underfunded. Mm-hmm. They're under underpaid. That's why you have the crime increase because hey if somebody run a red light they're going to say hey they, they probably just step back so we need more policing in the city of jackson though that's not going to fix the problem because you have to get to the root so looking at house bill 1020 with the appointment of judges and the prosecution it is unconstitutional to appoint judges unless you have a special election or recuse or someone dies. So we had the senator from North Mississippi draft that, draft that legislation. So and that's fine. OK, if you have the ability, the skills to do so draft legislation, that's fine. But why not include the senator that's within that county? Say, hey. We need some help. Let's do a survey. Let's get the community involved. Let's see what their needs are. And so that's why we look like we're down here running around with no shoes on because that's how they portray us anyway. So, yes, Jackson needs help as far as crime. Absolutely. There. Um, I, I was I remembered uh, the prosecutor, Jody Owen, say, hey, I, I need help. It doesn't matter if they're Republican or Democrat because he's open to it. But you just can't take someone from North Mississippi that has no idea, only going on hearsay and draft legislation for that community. So in order to draft effective legislation, you have to talk to those people that live in that community. Do you have you have you talked to that individual? Uh, you're talking about uh, Representative Trey Lamar. No, I, I did believe. Have you asked him? Did he seek counsel and input from uh, the well, individuals I, who represent that uh, honestly, the Jackson I, area? No, sir. I've okay. never had a personal conversation okay. with him. I would only be assuming, but you know, from what he said, and you know. A lot of people like to jump in, you know, and just say racism. When I had gone to Vicksburg last week, I honestly said, you know, no, it's, it's not racism. I, I just believe it's a little bit of ignorance, because if I'm doing a research paper and I need to quote someone, I'm going to do my research. I'm going to look at statistics. I'm going to, you know, get our surveys, our interviews. And and I'm hoping and, and that's another reason that we that I'm able to. I will mend those fences because it should have stopped right at right there said, hey, did you did you discuss these issues within the community? You didn't go to the community. We know that for sure. Okay. how how do you feel about uh, some of the other issues that uh, I know folks are paying a lot of attention to uh, with respect to just legislation? Taxes, for example, mm-hmm. cutting of the income tax, mm-hmm. reducing the mm-hmm. grocery tax. You got any thoughts on Absolutely. those two matters? Let, let me say this. 
I do not have a problem with cutting the tax, the grocery tax, nor do I have a problem with getting rid of the income tax. However, <laughs> we can say anything. If you cut those taxes, where is the rest of the revenue going to come from? That's what I want to see. I don't listen. We're not Florida. We're not Texas. Right. They have more revenue because of their attractions and their bigger population. Mm -hmm. But we need to stop saying, hey, we're going to do this. I need you to think about, OK, if we do this. Where is this money going to come from? So if if we can develop a plan and show the people if we cut the income tax and the grocery tax, now what is going to go up? Because if you cut this, then obviously some taxes will go up. Okay, well, some some would argue, of course, that, well, you could cut spending, and we're already producing done, surpluses. That's so correct. That, that, that's a way to counteract that as well. Let's talk about uh, the ballot initiative, the citizen-initiated ballot mm -hmm. initiative. You just made the point you want to mm -hmm. see the public more involved. How do you feel about that? We don't have one right now in Mississippi. That That is true. We do not have one. I mean, getting, you know, getting the the public involved and we have to be very careful careful of streamlining uh, the voting process. We don't want to make it so hard that people are intimidated by it. We definitely want to protect, you know, our, our voting system. But we, we want to be aware of, you know, who are we protecting it from Okay. Um, in, in that aspect of it. Well, let me clarify. I was really talking about... Uh, the mechanism that allows citizens to place a measure on the ballot to vote to to um, enact into law. Okay, you're talking about as far as if you vote for someone and then that person doesn't get in and it goes to the next person. No, the that's next ranked choice voting. Uh, this is really uh, talking about uh, such as the medical marijuana measure uh, that right. went to the okay, ballot right, that the right. citizens voted on and then that got turned over by right. the Supreme Court. So we presently don't have a mechanism for that. Would you support one? The House certainly supports one with the existing signature requirement threshold. The Senate, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, for example, supports a higher signature threshold. Do you have any thoughts about that? I, mean, I don't want to dwell on that, but just no, curious. Yeah, no, 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 you're fine. Yes, I, I definitely support it. Again, I'm <laughs> less government is the people's choice. Okay. Absolutely. All right, what about health care? Mm -hmm. You got any thoughts about that? Medicaid expansion, mm -hmm. for example? Mm -hmm. hey, absolutely. We're we're number fifty nationwide rankings. We're fifty in uh in in the country. So you know, obviously that's not good. Definitely, um, I'm for Medicaid expansion. Again, <laughs> less government. But when you look at statistics and you look at the research, we're like. Number one in poverty, right? We're obese. We have 43% of Mississippians who suffer from, you know, high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. So we have to give resources first before we can take away. So if you do not want the Medicaid expansion, then what are you giving to the people? You, you get what I'm saying? To supplement, mm -hmm. to even it out. I am for Medicaid expansion. Okay, for sure. Is is there any areas of government that you believe we could uh, which could trim, just trim the cost of government, the expenses, the spending? This is typically uh, a key part of Republican platform. I would say less of more state as far as employees concerned, um, which okay. you know that you know Mr. Delbert Holzman has yeah. you know done that. Um, any unnecessary or frivolous. You know, appointments or jobs. I'm, I'm Before we go, we got to ask you, PERS. Sure. Have you thought about that? You know, yeah, PERS absolutely. is broken. Yeah, uh, we got I'm, about a minute left. Any okay. thoughts about that? For, yeah, for sure. Well, you know, definitely the pension is, you know, for the people. Uh -huh. And so 
you want to keep PERS because you you have to follow the inflation, right? So okay. if we have cost of you know cost of living goes up, then you need social PERS. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. But it but it's it's financially unsound, so we it gotta is, do something. We yeah. I, you, you would work to so correct let's, that. Yeah. So the taxes that we want to cut, let's put let's use those monies for that. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Well, we appreciate you coming in, Tiffany. Thank and, you. And good luck on Thank your you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. I enjoyed this. Thank you. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Stay with us, folks. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Multimedia journalist with Super Talk Mississippi News. There you go, Rhino, right on cue there with the iconic news <laughs> news sound, and we appreciate that. Kelly, what in the wide world of sports is going on? Well, not sports, but the wide world of Mississippi is going on this week. I'm sure you just probably caught our interview with Miss Longino, candidate for lieutenant governor. And we've got three in that race, arguably the most high-profile primary in the state of Mississippi with the incumbent lieutenant governor duking it out with Senator Chris McDaniel, no stranger to contentious statewide races. And then Miss Longino, uh, we must point out, is in that race as well. Shane Quick was a candidate, filed, but dropped out of the race uh, not so long ago. So there are three candidates, um, and I know we're going to be talking to the others. I'm sorry we don't have your audio, Kelly. You're all, are you on mute? I don't hear you. Is it our side? All right, we're trying to get you going here. I know you can hear me. Because I see you gesturing there on the video. Don't hear you yet, though. All right, can't figure that out. <laughs> you want to call in, Rhino? All right. All right, so we're going to call you. Apologize for that, folks. Yeah, so, um, wow. It, um, get lots of texts rolling in. You know, I got to tell you, folks, it, um, you throw your hat into the ring for office, especially statewide office, you're, you're putting yourself out there big time. And uh, my, much respect for anybody that does that. I, I'm, I'm being serious about this. Much respect. We can certainly debate the candidate's positions, philosophy, experience, qualification. All that's fair game. 
But there's one thing that I think we all have to keep in mind and bear in mind is that it's a big dang step. And it takes a lot of scruples and a lot of uh, willpower, a lot of patience, a lot of self-control and discipline. Because you're seeing the fireworks already starting to heat up in the lieutenant governor race. And you guys, if you're on social media, I don't need to repeat all that. There's barbs going back and forth, and you would expect that. And Miss Longino here is just in the middle, sort of. But again, I respect her for stepping out. She basically said, I feel like that we need more non-career politicians step into the ring. I think a lot of people would agree with her in that respect. I would also like to see those who are advocating for term limits to self-limit. I, all those that are also advocating, I, I would propose that um, those individuals sign some sort of pledge where they commit that they will only run for whatever the number of terms are that they believe are reasonable for various offices. Most of the time you hear two four-year terms, three to four two-year terms in the case of a member of the U.S. House. I'd like to see those people sign something, commit to the people. You know, the other thing that would really be fascinating is to go back and grade folks that do get elected on their achievement, their delivering of the things they committed as a candidate. It just seems like we've gotten to the point where, as a candidate, I don't want to say you have to lie. I think that's a little strong, a little harsh. But I think it's true you have to make commitments that really get voters excited about a candidate and seem to attract them to you as a candidate. And so you say those things, even though the candidate probably knows. First, I can't do that by myself. Secondly, just not likely to get that done even through the standard process of lawmaking. No doubt that certainly presidents have a whole lot of dang power with executive orders too much, in my view, something we've discussed many times, where we've got more that affects us in our daily lives coming from the federal agency complex then we and that's sprawling and it's generally managed by career administrators who are partisan they're political we've seen that good grief in living color with respect to the department of justice and the fbi americans as a result have seen an erosion of their confidence in our institutions. All right, we got Kelly. Kelly, you connected now? Hey, guys. Oh, great. All right, awesome. So we were just talking about uh, this race heating up, and I know you got a lot of other news for us uh, from across the state of Mississippi. Go ahead and dig into us. What you tracking? 
Well, you know, I was just going to say I love the opportunity that Supertalk's talk programs give voters by having these people in that are running for office. And you get this whole long-form interview where you get to touch on different topics and where they might vote on certain issues. And just to let all the voters know that, you know, we do equal time. <laughs> and we will, like you were mentioning, get all these candidates on as we lead up to the election. So we've got the primaries coming up on August 8th. The deadline to register is coming up on Monday at 5 o'clock. And if you're not registered yet, you can do that at your county circuit clerk's office. You need to go in in person and do that. Now, you can do a mail registration application but that has to be postmarked by July 10th at 5 o'clock, too, so just keep that in mind. Yeah. Uh, there was a new election resource um, released. It's called My Election Day, and it was created for Mississippi voters by the Secretary of State's office. And you can log on to y'allvote.ms. I love this. You're going to see it on the homepage. If you haven't checked it out yet, you might want to. You just enter your address. And you'll receive personalized election information, including a sample ballot, your polling place location, a list of current elected officials, and that includes federal officials all the way down to county elected officials. So it's a really helpful resource. Yep. Yeah, you're right. And uh, it's a good reminder to get out there so folks know. And I agree with you. I'm certainly proud of the network as well for uh, giving an opportunity for all candidates who wish to come on, uh, certainly on a statewide uh, race basis. When you have these uh, this cycle where you've got, of course, races for every legislative seat, it's impossible to bring every candidate on that's running for one of those offices, but certainly the statewide candidates, which are, right. uh, uh, of course, broad and, and apply across the entire state. The network. Well, you know, Gerard, yeah. Gerard, it is so important. I mean, think about this. The DNC saying that they weren't going to debate. They're just going to put Biden up there, yep. right? Yeah. And that's going to be it. People, the voters need to hear from these people. They need to hear from everybody. I mean, everybody from the Democrats to the Republicans, the Independents, the Green Party, the Libertarian Party. I mean, we all need to be educating ourselves because... You see, all these polls right now nationally about people aren't happy with the direction the country is going in right now, and this is how we fix it. We go out and vote. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, And and so it's important for folks to participate uh, in the process. Um, And, you know, it's a question, Kelly, I think, as to what the turnout's going to be coming up in in August. Uh, It's just kind of hit or miss. You know, what? what is there a race that will bring voters to the polls? And don't forget, we got lots of local races as well, and those are fairly instrumental in attracting people as well. We got a break right here, but if you can hang with us, we'll catch you on the other side and, and uh, talk about some stuff happening in some Jackson municipalities, Moss Point, the city of Jackson, uh, I should say Mississippi municipalities, the city of Jackson, Moss Point. And also going on, something going on with the electric cooperatives in Mississippi, which supply power to many uh, rural areas in our state. Stick with us. we got Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News.
Is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. We're back with you. We've got Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Top Mississippi News on with us in the Element Well studio. All right, so Kelly, uh, what about the price of stamps? I heard that on our news. What's going on there? Yeah, it's going up. These forever stamps, you know, your first class stamps are going to go from 63 to 66 cents on Sunday. And the reason I wanted to bring that up, I know it's only a few cents, but just to give everybody an opportunity to run to the post office, maybe if you've got a chance before then, and stock up on those stamps. And they're going to do some other stuff at the uh, Postal Service this this weekend. Uh, They're blaming the increase, of course, like everybody else. You know, you have to raise prices because of inflation. And um, if you think about what the post office does for us and, how cheaply they've been doing it for years and years and years. It's really one of the best deals out there. So there you go. Okay. Well, that's uh, right around the corner. Tell, tell us what's going on with Moss Point. Uh, they're recovering from a devastating tornado. We uh, talked to Billy Knight, the mayor of Moss Point, when we hosted the show at the Mississippi Municipal League Conference last week. I was shocked when he explained uh, the damage produced by that storm, and, and so what's going on there? Well, it was an EF2 tornado, and I believe we've got 60 homes that were either completely destroyed or sustained damages, a school was damaged. I mean, it's really had a huge impact on that community, but what's going on is that it was a really tight storm. It affected a very small area of Moss Point, yeah. and for that reason, they're struggling to come up with a federal disaster declaration that would entitle them to federal money, individual assistance from FEMA, and that kind of thing. So they've already done these damage assessments, and in fact, FEMA is on the ground in the city of Moss Point today, double-checking those damage assessment numbers and that kind of thing, and hopefully we'll get a federal disaster declaration out of this. But for now, what they've done... Because when you get hit by a tornado, I mean, think about it. It doesn't matter where it hits. When you have this kind of destruction, the first thing you want to do is hire crews to come in and start removing that debris, clear that out so folks can go about the process of rebuilding. So at this point, a little over two weeks later, they have removed about, I think the the uh, figure from this morning was 20% of the debris, and they've gone ahead, the city has, and approved $2 million to cover the cost of that and other recovery costs, and, you know, we're kind of waiting on FEMA and FEMA to see if we get that federal disaster declaration. Now, that's not the only place that was hit by this storm. I know Mayor Knight called it the Juneteenth storm, yep. that's when it hit. Yep. He said he'd never forget that. <laughs> Um, 
but I believe it was Jasper County that was also hit by a tornado on that day. And I, I can't remember. I want to say it was Sharkey County. Gerard, I'd have to go look it up. Yeah. Um, but there were several tornadoes that touched down in the state that that weekend and into that Monday when it hit Moss Point. And what they would do is add up the damage from all of those counties to get that federal declaration. Well, you could tell he was uh, distraught. It uh, really devastated his community, and he personally was involved in in helping many of the cities, many of the residents get back on their feet. And something he pointed out, Kelly, that was a little surprising to me was was just how big an effort is debris removal and just how expensive that is. I guess I just don't think about removal of that uh, being such a big deal. I, I, I tend to think about, and I think most people do, reconstruction, you know, and building back structures that are, are um, destroyed as part of these storms. But you don't think about what a big job it is to get all that stuff out of there. It's expensive as well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm a Katrina survivor, Gerard. Yeah, Let yeah. me tell you, <laughs> yeah. the debris removal after that hurricane was, I mean, it was it was a monstrous effort yeah. to make that happen. And, in fact, while you're mentioning it, because I know Mayor Knight, he cares so much about his community, the number of volunteers that have gone in to help these residents out, and I do want to point out, the city of Moss Point, a lot of those people have been living there since the 40s. There's a great deal of elderly that were affected by this, and they really need help. These are guys that can't get out there and work in the heat, you know, yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, so if you'd like to volunteer to help out in the city of Moss Point, they've created a number you can call, and that's 228 990 We've got a weekend coming up. Maybe you're looking for something that would make you feel really good. You know, helping others always makes you feel good. So there's an idea for you. Maybe call that number and give a little bit of your time for these residents. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, you you uh, shared with me something about Michael Callahan, some statements he made. He's the CEO of the Electric Cooperatives of Mississippi, discussing <laughs> uh, the future of power and the power grid. Yeah, he blew my mind. So he actually was discussing the storms that all these power companies have been dealing with. You know, we've had storm after storm from June 10th through the 21st. Yeah. Um, And it looks like things have gotten back to normal, but it's unprecedented what these power companies in Mississippi have been through. And while we were doing this, uh, you know, these storms in mid-June, other states were dealing with the same storm. So where they usually come in and help each other out. And, you know, you see those power trucks roll in from other states, or we roll ours out when other states need us. They weren't able to do that this time around. And a lot of people started getting a little upset that their power wasn't coming back on as soon as they wanted it to. But that's what happened. It just storm after storm, and they would get your power up, and then you'd lose it again. And But he was talking about this, and then he started getting into this uh, story about renewables. And I thought this was really interesting. He said where the technology is going, as they bring more renewables onto the grid, we're talking about wind, we're talking about solar, they are going to have the technology to actually change the thermostat in your house. Yeah, Texas, Texas Utilities has that now. 
Yeah, uh, you know, they'll be able to look into your house on their, on their whatever this technology is. Well, you're more familiar with the technology aspect than I am, Gerard, so I'll give you credit there. But he said, you know, like, they'll be able to tell if your EV is plugged in. They'll yep. be able to turn off your pool pump to save energy if they need it so that the entire grid doesn't go down. It's just, it, it, thinking about that kind of thing. It just sounds so futuristic to me, but then I was also seeing stories this week where they're like, hey, flying cars are real. They're out there. Check them out. We've got the technology. And I'm like, whoa. You know. George so. Jetson, it's here. <laughs> it's pretty cool. His boy Elroy, Jane, his yes. wife. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's interesting. It, and this is really a function of. Uh, policy, which is forcing this this move to renewables, and, and honestly, it's not sufficient for demand. And, and you know, I don't want to get off on a rant here because I could do it in a hurry. But this Me is too. just this is another example of how the left solution to everything is you just got to do with less. They never think about, well, gee, maybe there's a way we could produce more so we didn't have to be inconvenienced and just uh, yeah. upend our lifestyles. Nope, you just got to do with less. Okay, I'm not going to get on my rant either because I easily could. But renewables and and the future that just kind of blew my mind. One more thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how much time we got, but I want to throw this in. The uh, Powerball jackpot yeah. is is almost at a near record. Uh, I went out and got my tickets yesterday, and I don't buy tickets unless the jackpots get really big. But up to $590 million when I checked it this morning, and when people start hearing that, you know, there'll be a run on tickets, and it'll go even higher. That's right. Um, yeah, so it's possible the grand prize will become the 10th largest in history. I'm hoping it's me. Look, if I win, Gerard, I'll still come into work Monday. <laughs> okay. Well, and you know, the Mega Millions is uh, up there pretty high as well, right? I think there's a drawing tonight. $450 million, $225 million cash value. So this is a little unusual in that we got both of the multi-state games, Powerball and Mega Millions, way on up there. So good news is, for those of us that uh, have an interest in seeing lottery sales <laughs> really uh, increase, this is going to, as you said, this is going to drive people out to buy tickets, and I, I bet you'll see people buying into both. So it wouldn't surprise me if we don't see a record week or so at the Mississippi Lottery Corporation as a result. And uh, that'd be good to kick the new fiscal year off. We just completed um, our third full fiscal year of operating the Mississippi Lottery Corporation. But we're out of time. Uh, great work there, Kelly. Appreciate uh, all the insight and all the stories there, and I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Please stay with us. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. My daddy spent his life looking up at the sky. He cussed, kicked the dust, saying, son, it's way too dry. The clouds up in the city, the weather man complained. 
what do you say? Grain makes corn and corn makes whiskey, right? Rain makes corn. Rain, okay. My gosh, that I thought that didn't make a lot of sense, but I just misunderstood. So, uh, oh, wow. Big Gretch Whitner. Man, says she's ready for the next political step. She, of course, the governor of the great state of Michigan. We had a lot of fun during the pandemic with her because she was a loon, pretty much. I mean, there is no was to it. She still, still is a loon. loon. That's right. She was vying for the vice presidential nod from Joe Biden, you recall. I think she was saying, how much further left can I go to get Joe to notice me here? But she was passed over. You know why? Because she's white. Because Joe said, it's going to be a woman of color. I don't care how unqualified they are, like Kamala Harris. By God, we're going to have a woman of color because we embrace diversity and inclusion. So, Matt Gannison, Director of Communications for the Mississippi Lottery Corporation, also informed, was listening to our last segment, that the, pardon me, the Match 5 game, that's a state drawdown game, it's also got a tidy jackpot. The next drawing tomorrow, July the 8th, thirty-seven grand for that one. Wow, so we got a $615 million Powerball jackpot on the table. That uh, next drawing is scheduled for tomorrow. The Mega Millions up to $450 million. That will be drawn tonight to see if someone cashes in. So we got a big Mega Millions, a big Powerball, and the big state drawdown game, Match 5. All getting on up there. By the way, folks, I highly recommend an app. If you're into playing the lottery, we hope you are. We, we hope you enjoy it and play responsibly, of course. But if you want to track all this information, I recommend you download an app called Lotto, L-O-T-T-O. You can find it on the App Store. And you will be prompted to designate select a state. And when you do so, as soon as you open this app, it's just a really easy to read screen presentation of Mega Millions, Powerball, and then the drawdown games in the state you have selected in Mississippi. Of course, that's Match 5, Cash 4 Midday, Cash 4 Evening, Cash 3 Midday, Cash 3 Evening, Cash Pop Midday, Cash Pop Evening. But all of those are listed, and what the show is, the numbers drawn in the last drawing, first thing you see, uh, and whether or not, so it's results from the last drawing, the most recent drawing, whether or not there was a jackpot winner, and then when the next drawing is scheduled, and what the value of the jackpot is, and the cash value as well. So really, really good uh, app that I recommend uh, to, to track the lottery status of the big uh, games, the big jackpots. So we uh, certainly um, appreciate Meg for letting us know about that. We caught the, of course, the jackpots for Mega Millions of Powerball. They're way on up there, and that will get the numbers up. By the way, the did a little research on the lottery's performance, the Mississippi lottery's performance 
because we have just completed the third full year of operating the lottery. Of course, it was signed into law in a special session August 31, 2018. And we launched it in the fall of 2019. I was honored to be asked to serve on the board of directors by then-Governor Phil Bryant. There's, there are five members of that board. And this past Friday, June the 30th, last week, a week ago, marked the third full year of operations. So since it's been uh, going, operating, we have sold $1.68 billion of tickets, and that has yielded over $450 million of net proceeds to the state of Mississippi. $450 million. That's three full years and a part year, that being fiscal year 2020. We had a little over seven months of sales for that. So essentially three and uh Three quarters of a year, roughly, of operations. One point six eight billion four hundred and fifty million of net proceeds. Honestly, that's way beyond projections, way beyond expectations, uh, especially of those who opposed the lottery, who really never felt like it would produce very much, but in fact it has exceeded expectations rather dramatically. We're stepping aside for a break here on Middays. A whole bunch more to talk about. We got Fox News, Super Talk News coming up next and the whole hour, the afternoon portion of the show. Please stay with us. And now... Another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of Middays on this Friday, y'all. We are back in the Element Well studio. We appreciate you joining us today. Don't forget, next Thursday, that would be July the 13th, we're going to be at the Palmer Home for Children Radiothon. We're happy to say this will be our 11th annual Palmer Home for Children Radiothon. Here on Super Talk Mississippi, every year there are children across Mississippi that need a loving home, and many times these children are caught in unimaginable circumstances. That's why we need your help. You'll learn how Palmer Home for Children serves vulnerable children. It's a faith-based organization that doesn't take government money, so we definitely need your help. Tune in next week, folks. We're going to be there all day. The 11th home, uh, pardon me, the 11th annual Palmer Home for Children Radiothon next Thursday. The 13th. Um, and then right after that, the next remote rhino, the Neshoba County Fair. That's where we're going to be visiting with all of the candidates as they address interested uh, voters and parties and citizens of uh, Mississippi and elsewhere, honestly. They will be addressing them there in Founders Square in the heart of the Neshoba County Fairgrounds under the pavilion 
You know, it wouldn't bother me if it's a bit overcast. I don't mind it being sunny as long as it's just not blistering hot. I do have a bit of an advantage, a benefit, and then I've got fans. Scary Gary always sets some fans up for me there to keep us uh, cool during the, uh, the day. But we look forward to that. You know what I look forward to? It's all the food. Oh, Folks yeah. really cooked up some food, and there's so many nice people, uh, as you would expect, in the hospitality state, that will just invite you in. Come on in. Get something to eat. It's always cool. It's a whole different kind of fair food. Agree. It's more the home cooking style. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good you stuff. won't see many funnel cakes or <laughs> foot-long corn dogs or chocolate ice cream filled churros, but you will see just about everything you could put the label soul food on. Yeah, absolutely. But we look forward to that because that is just around the corner. James in Hattiesburg says, uh, didn't see this when we were talking to Miss Longino, and, and but he wanted to know her position on the money spent per pupil at JPS, the ROI is bad. So I asked him, how do you measure ROI? He says, test scores, dropout rate, student attendance. Well, student attendance actually does figure into the formula. Um, But, you know, unfortunately, James, it ain't just uh, that particular district. There are issues across the state in districts. Uh, there are failing districts, so those that actually grade below Jackson Public Schools, which I think the last report card they received a C. But there are F districts in the school in the state, I should say. Sad to see that. There are numerous D. I mean, it, it's a pretty wide dispersion. Unfortunately, not as many A districts as we would like to see. But significant progress has been made. We talked about even the New York Times taking note of progress made, came to Mississippi, went to elementary and middle schools in the city of Jackson, witnessed students reading, reading proficiently. So we have, we've made substantial improvements there. But one thing to keep in mind, James, and, and everyone else, is our, our funding relative to the other states of the other 49 we're 47th in term of terms of education funding now many would argue that that there's not a direct correlation between funding and education outcomes i tend to agree with that if you look at some of the districts across the country that spend a whole lot more than mississippi does on education and actually score worse than mississippi does we got like Chicago and Baltimore always seem to be the ones that get discussed, where more than half of the graduates in high school can't read and do basic math, certainly not at that grade level, not close to it. That's sad. That's disgusting. But what's the core problem? And I maintain that it's more than just the the actual quality of the teaching instruction in the classroom. In fact, I say it comes from the home. Students that grow up in stable home environments aren't worried about how they're going to eat, for example, aren't witnessing domestic quarrels, aren't watching their parent or parents struggle with 
just making ends meet, and more importantly, grow up in two-parent homes, traditional two-parent homes. They just statistically do better in school. I think that stands to reason. You know there are students that go to school that literally are worried about how they're going to eat when they get out of school. There's no doubt about that. That's sad. Sometimes that's just because they're in an impoverished situation. Sometimes it's because whomever's household they live in are bad managers of money and are squandering it on other things and not taking care of their kids, like making sure they got food to eat. So I, I think the root cause of this, honestly, is um, what's happening at the house. That's where we should be focused. And, and it stands to reason if you look at the districts that produce high marks, school districts, look at the income levels. Look at the two-parent households in those districts. Amazing. There's a direct correlation. Maybe that's what we ought to be working on. Isn't that what Kamala called it? The root cause. She has no idea what that means, of course. I know... Um, Something about being unburdened. She loves yeah, that word. Did you hear? <laughs> unburdened. Whatever the heck that means. Oh, gosh. Where do we rank in terms of funding for Ed as a percentage of our total budget? Right in line, Jim in the Delta asked that question. That's a good question, Jim. And I, I did research the several states. In almost all the states, um, it, it comes in at about half public education. That's fairly standard, and that's the way it is in the state of Mississippi. Not a whole lot of different. Why are government schools allowed to advertise on TV, radio, and billboards, and why do they have public relations director on staff? Um, we have some public schools advertising on radio, TV, billboard. I'm not. Can you give us some examples of that? Why do they have public relations directors? I don't know. I don't know anything about that. I mean, I could maybe see a little use in that, uh, but I, I would say I'd be surprised if it was minimal. paid advertising. They're allowed to run PSAs. That's if right. They have something coming up that they need the public to know about. That's right. And media outlets, even including this one, uh, provides advertising at no cost as part of their public service announcement uh, efforts. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me the lottery has surpassed expectations, but we have to ask where did that money come from? Rich out-of-state tourists? You know, a lot, a lot of people are interested in that, and the fact is, as you can, as you were aware, I'm sure, that when a retailer of the lottery affiliated with the lottery, authorized to sell lottery tickets, sells tickets, uh, they don't ask for the address and the phone number and any other information from the buyer. So there's no way to know. There's no way to know what uh, their household income is. There's no way to know their address. Are they from in-state, out-of-state? It's doubtful they're from out-of-state. And i tell you why. Because all the surrounding states, with the exception of Alabama, have a lottery. Now, the extent to which there are people passing through, I don't know how many that are here on vacation or so forth. I'm not sure how many of those buy lottery tickets. I mean, my guess is this is primarily Mississippians that are 
play in the games. And some people say, well, we shouldn't do that because it, it's a tax on the poor. You hear that all the time. And, and I would say, well, is it the government's responsibility to protect a person from making bad personal decisions if, in fact, and this, this doesn't, it's not a statement saying, hey, look, if you're poor, you, you shouldn't play the lottery. I, I would, I would kind of nuance it and qualify that by saying, you know, if it's the difference between taking care of your obligations and your household and your children and so forth, or playing the lottery, you really ought to take care of the, uh, the former first. But you know what? There's a lot of people that spend their money on a lot of other unnecessary items as well that are um, foregoing their households, that are ab abandoning their responsibility there to their households, to others that are uh, inside it. Elton John bumping us out here, coming right back with more in the Element Well Studio. Interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge. Huge. Huge news. Huge. Huge. Huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well studio. We thank you again for joining us. So, uh, Curtis and Biloxi, and we had someone on the 662 said that some schools, I guess, are running uh, ads, school districts. So my recommendation there, folks, is go to the school district, school board meeting, and, ex and express your disapproval of that. Get on the docket, let them know. I don't think we ought to be spending money on ads. That's the way to handle that. Also, Curtis Biloxi asks, why are some stores cash only in selling lottery tickets? It's their choice. It's the retailer's choice. There's, there's nothing uh, in the law except the law does prohibit uh, selling on house account. I don't know how many such retailers exist, but it was placed into the law to protect against that possibility. Um, but they can sell on credit cards, debit cards, not a problem. But some stores just choose to require cash for their ticket sales, maybe to avoid the I wonder if that's credit because card of fee. Volume? Because aren't you charged a fee every time you use the debit or credit card machine? And they if are. They're, if they're selling lottery tickets and they don't have a markup, they can apply to cover that fee. That's true on anything they sell, though. Right. They just absorb those fees, and that's why in some situations you'll but see But if it's a Snickers bar, they can add five cents to their price to cover five cents they're charged. That's true. They can. And but they you can't, can't charge five cents to a scratch-off yeah. or a lottery ticket. You're, you're right. But they typically don't do that, like with the Snickers bars, because that would assume that everybody's buying with a credit card or a debit card. So, you know, the cash customers 
bearing the uh, price of that as well, absorbing the price of that as well. Then it's just so, extra profit for them. Yeah, I mean, it just certainly could be. Um, and I don't know how many of them figure that into their retail price as much as I have seen where they will add it and they'll post something, you know, in the, in the store. Hey, the cash price is this and the, and the card price is this. I mean, they do it with gas. Certainly do it with gas. That's been around a while. I think that's kind of where it got its legs, right? The cash price. And you'll see the big uh, street signage, you'll say, that, that will advertise, of course, and display the current price, usually of the lowest grade of regular to get you to come on in, and it'll say cash price in really fine print under that. I've seen that before. So, uh, let's see. Blaine and Jackson, the kangaroo and Pelahatchie when buying lottery, so they know what and who's buying. I think you're saying they ID. Oh, no. They ID to make sure you're old enough to buy lottery tickets. They don't ID, so they're not recording that, Blaine, in their system any different than they would if they ID'd someone to buy tobacco products and alcohol. Same deal. You've just got to prove your birthday. So the uh, the attendant, the clerk in the store, is going to check the ID to make sure you're of age, you qualify, but they're not recording that. The lottery certainly is not recording any such information. One area school districts can be evaluated is based on community engagement may explain the ads. Well, that's an interesting thought as well. Which that might explain why the two examples we've gotten are Gulfport and Tupelo. Those are two school districts that tend to have more disposable income from parents going towards booster clubs or extracurriculars or any number of things. Yeah, they're strong schools, and if you think about it, don't have as much competition from private schools. The, the, the public schools seem to be where folks gravitate to. There are many other districts across the state as well uh, that are like that, um, areas. But but you're right, it's still, uh, it goes down to the house. I mean, it really is all related to what's that environment like. Also, if I'm not mistaken, I think both of those school districts, at least at the high school level, have broadcast and broadcast journalism classes that they teach that involve being behind and in front of the camera. Okay. Which is really cool. Problem in education is that government is involved in it. So should we privatize education? Just eliminate that as a government responsibility. No public schools. All private schools. That's Because that's the alternative. I'd like to see a model for how that would work. Would lottery ticket sales increase if you could sit at home and buy them? In other words, so-called mobile uh, lottery sales. It's something that's been talked about, and some states have enacted that, but uh, not here in the state of Mississippi. I don't think the increase for lottery would be nearly as much as an increase in sports betting, if you allowed mobile sports betting. I would agree. And, of course, we have that now, but you have got to be on property, a casino property. Correct. It's geofenced. Another good thing about the lottery is it's a voluntary tax, says Mike from Madison. Nobody's forced to buy one. I totally agree with you on that. I wouldn't even call it a tax. I mean, a it's not a tax if it's voluntary, in my view, but, and I know you, you put it in uh, quotations, and I appreciate that, Mike, but 
you know, people derive pleasure from playing the games. That's why it's called a game. Now, uh, who is qualified to determine what provides pleasure to another person? I mean, that's, that's all very, very subjective in the eyes of the, be- of the beholder, as they say. No reason not to have school choice, says John and Pontotoc. Yeah, I agree. It's something we've been pushing for for uh, quite some time, and um, unfortunately, we cannot get that over the finish line. I would point out that is a distinction between the lieutenant governor candidates. Delbert Hoseman is not a supporter of school choice, whereas Chris McDaniel is. But let me be clear, there are a whole lot of people in that legislature that are Republicans that also oppose school choice. Uh, but I have said before, I think that uh, the walls are sort of closing in on Mississippi, so to speak, and that many states have adopted school choice this year and many others considering it. So it's, it's uh, becoming, I guess, more common, more popular. Uh, let's see. Does it surprise me the lottery surpassed expectations, but we have to ask, did that money come from? Oh, yeah, we already got that. Thank you for that, Rich. Uh, let's see. We can. You can also see how many people won and how much. You'd be surprised how many millionaires there are win like one million or two million. I think what they're referring to are the big multi-state games where that's right. There are multiple prizes, not just the big jackpot, but I think there are ten levels depending on uh, how many uh, of the numbers you matched and whether or not you played the uh, the mega plier. And uh, what what's the multiplier called on the the power ball itself? Power play, yeah, power play, yeah. I agree. Um, you could, depending on the size of the of the overall the top level jackpot, you could match what a couple of numbers and win a prize, maybe three numbers and not the uh, the full five, and yeah, get into the millions there. It's scary that a utility company can control your heating and air conditioning. We should point out it's not government doing this. It's the utility companies, not government. Well, like I was telling you in the break, as long as I pay my bill, I'm not giving them permission to turn anything of mine off. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and again, unless you've got a smart thermostat that's connected to the Internet, they can't. They have no way to get... Uh, to those devices. Now, in some cases, if I'm not mistaken, Rhino, they're making that like a condition of service. And that's how they're getting around it. You want our service, and by the way, we're the only choice, you're going to have to have these smart thermostats. Yeah, again, I say, this is back to uh, supply-side economics, so-called trickle-down economics, which is what the left loves to call it. We should be promoting policies and enacting policies and laws that promote boost supply, not telling people to deal with less. I'm so sick of that. That's going backwards. It's going backwards. But the problem is that supply-side policies, you know what happens? People get rich. They can't stand that. Can't fathom that. Oh, we can't let that happen. They might make some money off of it. You know, like cutting taxes and trimming regulations, those are supply-side policies. It's just the thought of that just galls the left. That's trickle-down economics. It doesn't work. You mean supply-side 
economics. And it absolutely does work. The problem is there's no consensus, there's no agreement on what work means. To the left, work means we confiscated money from this group of the population and we gave it to this group. That's work. That's, that's policies that work in their view. We're coming back half an hour left in the Element Well studio. Gerard Gibbert, going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, I think I introduced you to that one. Thank God it's what is that, like 77, 78? Donna Summer made a cameo appearance in it, the disco queen herself. 78. Yeah, it was actually a movie that absolutely made no sense. That's why it was fun to go watch. You just had to veg out and watch them, watch them dance and enjoy the disco and, and the, uh, the music genre of the time. I'll admit, I engaged with my then girlfriend, now my wife. We used to cut the rug a bit in the discos. Used to like to go to Memphis. I was in school. There you was, have those platform shoes with the goldfish in it? Not with the goldfish, but they were four-inch heels. I did. <laughs> and, the, and look, the, uh, uh, the all Dacron <laughs> bell-bottoms that had the uh, short rise and the big, of course, bottom fit nicely over those stack shoes I wore, just above the floor. <laughs> we had a good time with all that stuff back in those days. Well, let's see here. Um, Trump, DeSantis need to be the ticket. This is on the ceasefire text line. Get that together for the American people and stop all the BS. We'll see. I don't know if uh, those two could get along well enough to be on the ticket together, honestly. You say that, but look back at that first debate where Kamala got all over Joe Biden about That's being true. racist. That is very true. That little girl was me in the school bus or whatever that was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. Uh, Medicaid expansion is going to reduce obesity. I think that was a comment Miss Longino made. Well, I think her her logic there is if folks have health care coverage, they hopefully would be more regular in their visits to a physician because they could afford it. It would be paid for, and the physician hopefully seeing that they need to lose weight logically would counsel them on that. The big problem is getting them to actually do it. We have that problem now, but it is true that our state ranks at the bottom in all these various health measurements 
And that is a problem. It, it, so think about this. We have the poorest and the least healthy state. That's a toxic combination. I submit, as I have so many times before, the key to solving that health problem, the education problem, the brain drain problem, is to grow the economy. That's the path to solve every problem. That's something that the folks in Washington don't get. The reason we have significantly reduced our CO2 emissions is because of capitalism. Because there was profit in fixing those problems, in addressing those human needs. And that's just something that's just above the pay grades of the people on the left. The solution has to come from government. Right? You're, you're sort of encroaching in on their gig when you're fixing societal problems without them. And, and they being smarter than the people in the private sector, they can centrally plan that and correct all these problems. That's kind of the way they look at it. So uh, Dan in Hattiesburg says, wait, cut taxes to fund PERS? This also from the interview with Ms. Longino. I'm going to have to ask her to show her work to show how she got that result. That's actually not what she said, Dan, and, and I can understand the confusion, though. I, I happened to talk when we were talking about elimination of the income tax and potentially the grocery tax, the sales tax on groceries. I, I just happened to point out that the state continues to produce surpluses. This year it's on track to be, we'll get the final numbers here pretty soon for the fiscal year, which just ended June 30th, uh, probably close to $700 million. Now that's less than last year. The true question is, is this structural? Meaning, is this kind of baked in to our, our budgetary model? Can we expect future surpluses? And so, what she said was, well, perhaps we ought to use those when I asked her about how we should address PERS. What she said was, perhaps we ought to use those surpluses to shore up PERS. But PERS is an issue that few, if not nobody, will talk about because it's not a popular subject because the answers, the solutions generally inflict some degree of pain. It's the same thing with Social Security and Medicare. They just people don't want to talk about it. Donald Trump says, don't talk about it, leave it alone, because it's more important that I get elected, not that we actually solve this problem. So when so that brings me back to around the circle to this idea that, hey, if you tell the truth, if you level with people, if you say, Hey guys, we gotta do something about Social Security and Medicare, or it's going to fail. It's going to crash. And as soon as you say that, then opponents latch on and say, they want to take away your Social Security and Medicare. No, we want to fix it so that it stays in place, so that it remains available to you and future generations. That's the problem. Because people are obviously put at the top of the list, i got to get elected. i got to get an office. i got to have that power. i got to have them perks. i got to have them spoils. i got to have the fame. It's the truth. That trumps everything. Way down the list is, I'm going to try to fix the problems. But playing devil's advocate, would it be more damaging to talk about it without a workable plan? Yes, it than would. Than to put it off? Yes, it would. And I would also uh, submit the same is true for all those that are putting at the top of their list, 
I'm going to eliminate the income tax, especially those who are running against incumbents, because the logic there is, well, the incumbents didn't get it done. I'm talking about multiple offices, legislative offices and statewide offices. But I can. I will. What's your plan? Just like we had that conversation with uh, Larry and Mize yesterday, right? And and so I, I asked him, you remember this from yesterday? I'm not picking on Larry. He knows that. I, I think highly of Larry. And I think he and I agree on, on many issues. But the model, the plan, as you say, is important. You can't just say something and make some commitment at a high, abstract level and not have detailed specifics. And it's something that big, you need to have thought through that. Because if you think about it, Rhino, the reason we didn't get it done is because when we got down into the details of the specifics, people came out of the woodwork and said, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that. Remember that? Because the very first bill we had, which would have eliminated the income tax in short order, also included increasing consumption taxes, sales taxes. And you remember, right after that, it was the, the, and it included uh, certain uh, groups, if you will, certain facets of our economy that have got uh, a sales tax deal where the taxes on what they sell are lower then on everything else, automobiles, vehicles as an example, loggers, you remember they've got some special concession, farmers, farm implements, and, and they're also exempt from sales taxes on energy they consume. Um, what else we got? Now, retirees, you remember there was a huge backlash from them because they said, well, geez, we're not paying income taxes now because our income is exempt. You want to raise sales taxes to push this income tax elimination plan through. What about us? And so, consequently, the legislation died. And they came back and said, okay, here's a plan. We're not going to do all that to make you guys happy. Will you support it? But here's the caveat. It's going to take 12, 15 years to get this done, provided we hit all these goals, these triggers, to start phasing it out, to phase out. So again, that nuance is important. That plan is important. It sounds great when you hear it. Yeah, we're going to get rid of the, the sales tax on groceries. We're going to get rid of the income tax. But over what period of time? And, and are there some criteria, financial criteria, that must be satisfied to achieve that? Candidates need to have a plan. You're right. I totally agree. Um, and I know that sometimes when you dig into those weeds, you start getting people caught putting them to sleep. I get that. But it's important. Because you know what happens then? They get in there, and they don't get it done, and we either, A, forget about it, or they blame it on somebody else. Well, they were for it, but somebody else over here stood in the way. It's going to be interesting for sure. Well, let's see. I don't know what they did to make up the difference. Maybe you can tell us, but they stopped car inspections mighty fast at one time. Small amount of money. This is uh, Sue in Greenwood. Uh, the boy named Sue Mayo, by the way. Yeah, it's a um, small amount of money. That's why. Really just not that big a deal. We're talking about, in the, in the case of the income tax, we're talking about a third of the revenue the state receives to operate. In the case of the sales tax on groceries, uh, you're talking about roughly 8%. So you can do the math there. 
you're getting close to half of the state's revenue just being zipped away. The uh, fees for inspection stickers, peanuts in the scheme of things. Coming right back with more, the final segment on this Friday. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. Peter Gabriel, that was considered a groundbreaking, revolutionary video in its day. Nothing today, right, with the technology we have? I don't know. I think stop motion is still an art form that is prized because you can't digitize it. I mean, you can add digital elements to it with a, a digitally synced moving camera, but you still have to pretty much make all the movements by hand yeah, and record it frame by frame. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I guess I'm just saying that the tools available today oh, yeah. are so, so much more advanced and sophisticated than they were today. And that's why it got all kinds of accolades and was heralded as, man, this is breakthrough technology. Sort of cool. Uh, so James in Hattiesburg asked what a 1% per gallon tax on fuel fix the PERS problem? Yeah, the answer is no, uh, James. That's what would amount to, if you just think about the amount of revenue produced by fuel taxes in the state of Mississippi. And then, um, if you, it, so it's 18.4 cents is what the fuel tax is in Mississippi. It's near the bottom of states, maybe 47th, something like that. I want to say maybe Alaska is down in there. But um, so if you increased it by a penny, that would be roughly 5%. So if you did 5% of the total revenue produced, you're talking about maybe, I think, I want to say the fuel tax produces a billion a year in revenue for the state of Mississippi, Department of Transportation. So you're talking about. 50 million bucks and the unfunded liability is close to 20 billion. 20 billion. It I mean certainly it helps. Anything helps. And and the conundrum is okay, anytime a candidate says we're going to shrink the size of government and of course that usually involves shrinking personnel. Cutting personnel. And just keep in mind that when you do that, every job you cut out of the public sector, unfortunately, you're putting more pressure on PERS because that's less money being contributed into the fund, into the program, to cover benefits going out because it's a pay-as-you-go system, as are all defined uh, benefit plans. And don't forget, in a year from now, just a little less than a year now, the contribution rate 
on the employer side in PERS increases by 5%. And that, by the way, is picked up by the taxpayers, because that's all public sector entities in the state of Mississippi are going to have to absorb this 5% increase. So that's on top of the $1.24 billion taxpayers already pay annually into the system. $1.24 billion, folks, is what taxpayers bear as an expense to fund PERS from the employer contribution side. Because employers in the public sector are funded by the public, by taxes, at all levels. We're talking about municipal, county, state. What's really kind of mind-boggling to think about, though, is that that will increase the employer contribution rate to 22.4% of payroll. Tag on to that the 9% employees contribute, public sector employees who were enrolled in PERS, all of them are. That means that 31.4 cents of every payroll tagged on to every payroll dollar, are used to just fund retirements, retirement benefits for public sector workers. 31.4 cents. It's just mind-boggling to think about that. So if you looked at the total burden, essentially, is how that would be measured, it's 31 percent, just for PERS. Then add to that insurance for public sector employees, health insurance, et cetera. Um, And then Social Security and Medicare, the employer side of that. So all that adds up to over 40%. The burden rate, typical private sector burden rate, because private sector entities don't have these defined benefit plans, that typical private sector burden rate is around 20% when you consider all those additional expenses. And burden, we just mean if you pay somebody a dollar, add 20 cents to it as an expense on top of that payroll dollar for all these other costs, benefits typically. And then in the public sector, it's roughly 40 percent, mainly because of PERS. But PERS is also a way to get people to work in the government where typically pay is lower than the private sector. It's a trade-off. But we're out of time here today. We appreciate so much You're joining us uh, on the program. Have a great weekend, everyone. Until Monday, stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.